Welcome to Diggin' the Dharma, where we dig into the Buddhist Dharma and explore ways to bring these 2,500-year-old teachings into our lives. I'm Doug Smith of Doug's Dharma on YouTube and the online Dharma Institute. And I'm John Aaron, teacher at New York Insight Meditation Center and mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher and teacher trainer and founder of Space to Meditate. Greetings, Doug. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm great, great today. How are you, John? I'm okay. I've, I've been contending with, like, of all things, a cold. Ah, it's like, yeah. you know, it's like there, there was that period during quarantine where we never got sick because we were never going out or, or we were wearing masks if we were going out and we were yep. washing our hands constantly. And like, you know, when we lighten up. All of a even, sudden. Yeah. Even <laughs> though I always wear a mask on the subway, I got it from somewhere. Yeah. And then, of course, oh, it must be COVID, you know, and it's not, but it's just like a cold. You know, it's like, oh, oh, it's one of those spring colds. <laughs> it's like you almost forget what that's like, you know. Exactly. And it's yeah. just like, it, it feels almost, it's like a shock, you know. It's like, oh, <laughs> this I, just, is... <laughs> I haven't had that in a while. Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> Maybe I should just wear a mask all the time. <laughs> but then you don't want to wear a mask all the time. Right, and it's like in the house to keep my you know, other half from getting it? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. well, that's that too, you know, because yeah, so. you can always get it from, you know, somebody right next to you who lives right. with you. So it's dukkha. It's, it's life. It's life. Yes. Yeah. And life is dukkha, I yeah. guess. So they say. So um, they say. <laughs> anyway, so I, I thought it would be fun today to, to talk a little bit more. I, we may have talked about this in the past, but a little bit more about secular mindfulness and, mm. and you know, quite specifically about. I suppose the, the 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 thing, the curriculum that kind of started the whole movement in a sense, which is this curriculum that I teach all the time called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. MBSR. MBSR. Mm -hmm. um, I also teach new teachers. Um, and it's been yeah, you around. Teach, you should explain that, that you you're you're pretty high, far up in this. Oh, thing. yes, I'm very senior. No. You're, you're very I, senior. <laughs> no, you not only do you teach it, but you teach people who teach it. So yeah, that's, yeah. That's pretty... I've, I've been training new teachers for about four years now, and it's really oh. fun and and great because they're from all over the place, and and so it's like this, you know, it's spreading a net of these teachings. And how is that different? How is it different to teach a teacher rather than to teach a course? Is there? Yeah. So, well, it might be helpful to talk about the course a bit first, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But and then and then get into that because. So this is a curriculum that was designed by John Kabat-Zinn in, in 1978, mm -hmm. 79, specifically to work with people with chronic pain originally. Yeah. Um, and John, uh, who was a professor at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, but also is a serious Zen practitioner and has been since he was certainly in college, they invited him to put this curriculum together. And, you know, to, and it's, he, it actually started, he said, as a 10-week curriculum. Um, but then because of the class schedule or something, they made it, it had to be an eight week curriculum. So it's mm. basically eight, two and a half hour sessions over eight weeks with a full day of practice somewhere between weeks five and six or six and seven. So it's a, it's a pretty intense course yeah. and it's completely experiential. So it's not about like somebody teaching you, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's really about practice and bringing it into your life. So it's practical more than sort of didactic. You're not exactly. sort of trying to learn a whole bunch of facts. Right. And yeah. in fact, if somebody goes and doesn't do the practice between weeks, they're going to get some facts, but nothing else. Right. And so it's a real commitment. 
so John created this curriculum and he was the only person to teach it for a few years. And then, you know, he, he would introduce it to others who, you know, he would invite to come and teach with him. And the Center for Mindfulness at UMass, which grew considerably over the 80s and 90s and early aughts, has now come sort of constricted because of funding. And and John was, John retired quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. Even the people that Saki Santorelli, who was his successor, you know, ran it very well. And he actually started a more formal teacher training program, Saki, because he's a real educator. Mm. Um, John, in the early days, would just have people read his book, Full Catastrophe Living, which is still a bestseller, I think, or sells very well, which is, you know, basically an outline of the eight weeks with a lot of science and other things uh, included in that. You know, in those days, people that came to kind of potentially teach it had a pretty serious practice already. Mm-hmm. But because of the growth of interest in the, especially in the late 2000s, 2010s and the early, the early teens, there were so many people coming who really didn't have a very solid meditation practice to begin with. Mm-hmm. They were coming from the, you know, the therapeutic and medical world, right. which is great, but you can't really teach a class unless you have your own practice. You have to teach from your own experience. So mm-hmm. the bars have been set higher <clears throat> as we've you know gotten into this. And basically, you know, through the curriculum, people learn a, a number of practices. The body scan is, is a very well-known practice and focused attention practice. And Probably should explain the body scan for people who aren't familiar with it. Yeah. So the body scan really, um, it's a meditation that, that – opens uh, that where your you your your mindfulness is totally of the body right. and mm-hmm. sensations of the body internal sensations external sensations so it's actually right out of the satipatthana sutta i mean it's refined a bit but it, it is right. definitely you know there are, it doesn't go through all the organs of the body right <clears throat> but it is about body sensations and and recognizing body sensations because and receiving the body sensation and 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 experiencing the body as opposed to thinking about the body. Right. Mm-hmm. That's really what it comes down to. And you're going from one end of the usually you go from the feet up feet to up the head. Feet up to the head. Sort of Although we also go from the, you know, head down. Right. Second week we'll go some of us go from the head down <laughs> to the feet, but more advanced. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think uh, you know, John always felt I mean, so it's said that, you know, and I've never asked them this. Well, we start at the feet because it's as far as from the head as you can get, you know. And there's something to that, I would say. Mm-hmm. And it, it's long. I mean, we, you know, you dive in with a 40 to 45-minute practice. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, for a lot of people who've never meditated, certainly even people who have, for a 45-minute body scan can be pretty challenging at first. And, yeah. And, uh, and the whole first week, that's what people do. And some people go to sleep, right? <laughs> I mean, of, course, of course, of course, of course. It's very relaxing. Oh, it it can be. Yeah, Yeah. it can be. It can Can be just the opposite, though. Sure. I guess it depends on, yeah, it depends on your background. You know, because some people, like, want to jump out of their skin. They can't possibly go to sleep. and and, But that's all part of the process, and Mm -hmm. and it's part of what we learn. And so there's the body scan. There's a focused attention practice, which had been basically an awareness of breath practice, but it's really much – there are many more options now. It's trauma-sensitive practices uh, because some people just have a really hard time attending to the breath only mm. mm-hmm. it's a whole other that that could be a whole other podcast around trauma mm. sensitive mindfulness which is you know important and then 
walking practice and open awareness practice and various uh, compassion practices toward toward the end. And then, you know, but as important as any of that, and this is what's really key to the course, I think, are, are what in, in we describe as informal practices, which is basically everything else you're doing. You mean outside of the yeah. outside of the outside of outside the formal, of formal practice. practice, right? Yeah. So whether you're you know tying your shoes or washing the dishes or making mm-hmm. a podcast, you know, <laughs> you are you are simply just bringing an 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 attention to this, which is similar to what we do in meditation. Mm. You know, <clears throat> noticing how often the mind wanders off, and then come back to actually what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, when you and I are doing a podcast, I think our mind is pretty much on the podcast. I'm not thinking about what's going to happen three hours from now, even though I'm starting a class, you know. <laughs> but so it's like, uh, you know, that could enter into in, into the frame, you know, but I see it and then I come back to, you know, the microphone in front of me and, and, and you in front of me. So it's a little different when you're doing something that doesn't necessarily require thinking or, or you know consideration like the dishes or taking a shower or brushing your teeth whatever mm-hmm. so it's just really interesting and and so you know i've had people come into classes who have years of meditation experience but have never actually figured out how to <clears throat> integrate what they get from into uh, meditation into the rest of their lives ah that's interesting and yeah, that's yeah. what's so mm-hmm. important about it mm-hmm. um and so you know then there's the question um, that has come up, and I know you've—I don't think you've actually been too part of this discussion in the in the, uh, the various writings over the past twelve, fifteen years about oh, is this Buddhist or is it is it taking you know things from Buddhism and making it something else? You know, and is right. there enough? And it's a big question, you know. But I can I can say personally, coming from both sides, that it's really really very much rooted in the Dharma and very much rooted in the four foundations of mindfulness, yeah. mm-hmm. as well as the Brahma Viharas of loving kindness and compassion, though not necessarily explicitly so. Mm-hmm. One continual argument that's still present is, you know, that there's we don't talk too much about ethical behavior in the you know in the context of the five precepts or non-harming. On the other hand, John would say that's implicit, and to some degree that's true, right? Mm-hmm. In the sense that if if you're really having a hard time settling the mind and landing the mind on one thing, very likely it has something to do with something else, <laughs> you know, behaviorally. Could be, and, yeah. you know, that's mm-hmm. that's an, a, a place of investigation, right? And also the whole. I mean, in my way of thinking, anyway, the whole aim of the enterprise is an ethical aim of, of reducing course. suffering. Yeah. And I mean, what you're getting at there, I think, is is key in the sense that just by being mindful, I mean, how can you help but be aware of ethical concerns in your own life that you have? I mean, it's not; it's different from somebody else coming, you know, from outside and saying. These are the things you should do, you know. I mean, it's rather giving yourself time to, you know, to reflect upon your own life and begin to see those things that you do in your own life that maybe you could change for ethical or other reasons. Yeah. So, I, you know, it seems to me just, there's no way, yeah, there's no way 
it's it's just it's not it's not trying to teach you ethics that that's sort of right. behind beside the point yeah it's, exactly exactly i mean i i, I see, but i see it as inherently ethical so I yeah i mean and i think where the where the quote controversy has come in around secular mindfulness this notion mm. of secular mindfulness is when and and this wasn't necessarily MBSR that was brought into the military or the mm. you know but when when mindfulness was brought into the military and I have a very good friend who's an MBSR teacher and who has developed mindfulness programs he's in the military about to retire but he's been doing it for years you know and so so there would be you know oh well you know you can can you have a mindful you know sniper yeah that's you, the, you know, that's and, always the and, example and that's, that's given yeah and it's that's kind of that's absurd you know because. I mean, okay, you could have a mindful sniper who, you know, in the process of doing what he's been charged to do, you want to make sure that whoever he's going to shoot is the right person. <laughs> but I would still not, you know, I would still question that as being mindfulness as opposed to, you know, attention, yeah, <laughs> very attention. focused attention. Yeah. That said, you know, you can imagine that when, and I've, you know, as you know, I've done some work with the New York Police Department, and um, which is different than the military. It's a very different situation. But, you know, when we teach mindfulness, when I've taught mindfulness in the police department, I've been very careful about even getting into situations that require a very quick response mm. or a very quick reaction. Right. On the other hand, we can imagine that if police were better, you know, trained in mindfulness, a lot of the a lot of the uh, actions that you know we've seen in the last ten years, or at least you know have been exposed in the last ten years, these unnecessary killings, they wouldn't be happening because there would be this moment of clarity, like, well, what's really going on here, as opposed to just a trigger hair trigger reaction, right? Um, and that's a very interesting area of practice, of course. But, you know, having never been in one of those situations myself, I would have a very hard time, <laughs> you know, teaching about it. Right. And, and and it's not that my friend in the military who teaches in the military, he's never, although he's been in, in the military for over 25 years, I think, he, he was always there as a, a medical professional. Uh, and so that's different. Yeah. You know, he hasn't had combat experience although he's been in combat zones but he can he can certainly talk about that and so that's i think where a lot of the controversy around secular mindfulness it's like we're miss you know that where are the ethics mm -hmm. and when you bring it into areas like that or even when you bring it into the business world you know are you which i've also done you know are you training you know people to be more uh, more more efficient <laughs> and therefore more profit driven right. or are you actually training them to take care of themselves you know, in, in a way that will be good for them and good for the company they work for. And so those are, those are where the, I see where most of the controversies lie. Yeah. And it's hard to speak about those kinds of, all, any of these kinds of cases sort of in the abstract. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, in the abstract, of course, anything's possible. I mean, it could be done well, or it could be done badly, but I don't see any I mean, I don't see any reason in advance to say mindfulness sh shouldn't be given to some to so and so. You know, right. this person should never be taught mindfulness. Yeah. Oh. You know, yeah. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't make sense to me because no. anybody, if taught mindfulness properly, 
has the potential anyway to grow and learn from it and maybe become you know more aware of the ethical concerns with that whatever they're doing in front of them yeah just simply by paying attention to their own reactions exactly exactly and you know i mean who needs it more than somebody who's in a very difficult situation um so i don't you know these kinds of i mean i get the general point which is that you know you have to be careful that these are done properly and that maybe they aren't done properly in some of these cases and yeah, yeah. that's possible but I don't get the whole, you know, the 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 argument against it in principle because that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, and and yeah, and it's it's if the intention is wholesome, yeah. just like in Buddhism, you know, in Buddhist teachings, if the intention is wholesome, if the teaching intention is wholesome, and if the person is coming to it from with a wholesome attitude, and an attitude that yes, I can change or change can happen rather. Um, and this is one of the things I always talk about in, in the beginning of class is like, you know, if you're not interested in any sort of transformation, then maybe this isn't the class for you. <laughs> yeah. You know, cause it's a lot of work. Yeah. You know, and, and I want people to be committed when they, when they, when they take a class. Sure. Um, and what's really interesting also is that, you know, a lot of people, because one of the places I teach is New York Insight, which is a Buddhist center. And so often people will, They've had some drama training and they've heard about this curriculum and they want to take it because they they think it might help their own practice, which it does. Many people, though, take the class and then realize at the end of the class, well, this is like great and I know there's more. Mm-hmm. And then they end up sort of going and, you know, learning more about the dharma and, and, and right. really sort of deepening their practice. And I can't tell you how many people have, you know, taken a class and then I've seen them, you know, coming back to New York Inside and places like that. And Yeah. I mean, knowing a bit about early Buddhism and the teachings of the Buddha, I mean, I don't see any of it that would be in any way opposed. I mean, the Buddha would be opposed to it. I don't, I don't see that. Uh, I mean, the Buddha had an un, a very, I think, deep and sophisticated understanding that there were some people who were lay people who did not, you know, were not particularly ready for or interested in some of the deeper teachings and he never he didn't teach them those things and he didn't expect them to yeah. to learn those things i mean when he talked to the kalamas you know of kesaputta you know he wasn't trying to teach them all the dharma he was trying to teach them how to live their lives better because yeah. that was sort of what they were ready for yeah. um and he understood that that was skillful in that situation it wouldn't have been skillful for him to sort of go off about some minutiae of the dharma because that wouldn't have interested them it would have turned them off they yeah. wouldn't have they would have been confused and that's not the point um right. Right. so i mean i understand that people say you know you should get deep into the dharma with people who are interested uh that of course you know if somebody's interested uh and if somebody's interested in a more traditional understanding, then great. You know, I come from a more secular interest, and so, you know, I, I understand that material, but my interest is a little different. Yeah. You know, and it seems, anyway, yeah, it, you know, that's not one size fits all, and no. it shouldn't be. And And what's so interesting, in one way, what John did, John Kabat-Zinn, was take traditional teachings and relanguage them in a way that, you know, can fit into any number of settings that otherwise you wouldn't bring a religious or sure. spiritual mm-hmm. language to. Yeah. 
you couldn't you couldn't bring a it wouldn't be appropriate right. to bring in a hospital uh, no of course <laughs> yeah or a, a, unless you're in a religious hospital with yeah, of you know course. i mean yeah. unless it, it's understood but yeah. yeah or you know or in you know any sort of public setting and you know at this point there there are people teaching in all sorts of settings mm-hmm. you know there's somebody that was teaching in the parliament and, you know I, in england and i know somebody has taught at the parliament in norway Congressman Tim Ryan, well, former Congressman Tim Ryan, almost Senator Tim Ryan, who who knows where his next path will be, but he he took the MBSR class, I think, with John mm. a number of years ago, and then he wrote a book called uh, The Mindful Nation, and he tried to get a, a meditation group going in Congress. The best he could do was basically getting a room, you know, where people could go and just be quiet. Mm-hmm. Would it be the case that every uh, session of Congress, we just start with silence, you know, before yeah. before things get ridiculous, which unfortunately doesn't happen now. To get back to the very first question, the difference between training new teachers and teaching the class. So the people who are doing teacher training, at least in the in the the the, the mode that me and a number that I and a number of colleagues are teaching. They take the class again as a participant observer. So they're taking Mm -hmm. the class, they're participating in the class. They're also observing what's going on between me and the other participants and me and, you know, and, and themselves and the other participants, sort of what is actually what they're responding to, what they're feeling some level of questioning about, doubt about. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're observing me, they're observing the class, they're observing themselves as well as participating in the class. Then, you know, a day or two later, or sometimes the same day, there's a three and a half hour seminar. Mm-hmm. And in the seminar, they... Uh, this is extra. This is a kind yeah, of yeah, extra. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And this is only the first phase of training. Mm-hmm. But in those in the seminars that we, you know, we talk about our own practice. Mm-hmm. They practice guiding practices and get feedback from, from me and from their peers. <clears throat> we do other explorations, personal explorations around one spiritual development and how they got here basically. Mm-hmm. And then we unpack what happens in the class, but we unpack it with several lenses. One lens is looking at the Buddhist underpinnings of the curriculum, mm-hmm. you know, which as I say, you know, really closely mirror the four foundations of mindfulness, living with mindfulness of body, mindfulness of feeling tone and mindfulness of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the other underpinnings are just the, the group process underpinnings, the experiential learning underpinnings, and the scientific underpinnings. Mm-hmm. And do you have people from other religions as well? I mean, in other words, people. Oh, yeah, yeah. for I, sure. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. And so that's the first level of training. Mm-hmm. But they still can't teach the curriculum after that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have to go on and do at least another retreat, mm-hmm. silent retreat, and then they – they have to do some workshops and things like that. I mean, where they're, where they're getting used to teaching and talking about what mindfulness is. And, mm-hmm. and then there's an, an, another intense training, which is, in, again, in the, the model that I'm using, which is the model of what's now called the Global Mindfulness Collaborative. And that intense teaching is really intense. <laughs> it's like mm. eight, you know, nine, eight-hour days, basically, where you're going through every bit of the curriculum. Wow. And learning how to present it and teach it and guide it mm-hmm. and getting continual feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can 
start teaching mm. with some level of mentorship. It's a pretty That's intense great. process, as it should be. Yeah, yeah, of um, course, yeah. And, you know, there are many other programs out there uh, now, right? I mean, that are, that are available that are just mindfulness trainings and then mindfulness teacher trainings um, that are quite good, but they're not – the thing about MBSR, it's been around for f- over 40 years, and it's the one curriculum that's been continually scientifically researched, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the last 10 years. It's kind of mind-boggling how many research studies have been done. Um, you know, and that's great. I mean, it's great to have the science as a backup. For me, I'm not a science nerd, as some of my colleagues are, which is, and I have nothing against science nerds. But for me, it's just the proof is in the pudding. It's it's like what I see and happen in a class. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I forgot to mention, I'm actually starting two classes next week online, if anybody's interested. Uh, this is through the Omega Institute, where which has had a long association with John mm. Kabat-Zinn and and prior had a long association with the UMass Center for Mindfulness. And so we're kind of reigniting that for them. This is online, right? So you, yeah, can, yeah. you can take it from yeah, exactly. anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have to say that, you know, when we went into quarantine, the number of people that were learning this, you know, taking signing up for this course was huge. Mm. Not necessarily with me, but I mean, just in general, all over the world. And I would have people from all over the place mm-hmm. taking classes. And doing the tra- the teacher training, we can leave a link to that in the in the notes. Yeah, and not only will there be a link, there'll be a ten percent discount code. Oh, that's nice. People that are interested, yeah, <laughs> that's nice. Um, but it starts next Thursday night, and there's one on Friday at noon. Uh, um, what what's the date? That, oh, right. What is that? April thirteenth and fourteenth, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and you know, it's it's if you if you need a kick in the pants for your practice, or if you really haven't developed a daily practice, it's an excellent way of starting that. Yeah. Um, and, and sustaining it um, because you're, you're sort of held accountable by the right. group and by, by me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it'll, it'll, it just, it, and if you're a serious Buddhist practitioner and you're just sort of interested in, you know, how, how this curriculum holds the, the drama, essentially, I think you might find it fascinating. But as I said, a lot of people, and perhaps a lot of people who listen to this podcast, you know, they're, they're interested in Dharma. They may not have a regular practice or they may have like, well, okay, how do I actually bring this always into my life? You know, how can it, how can it work its way in? So. Right. You might think of it as something separate from. Right. Which it shouldn't be. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. So. Cool. And well, I'll put some resource, other resources there as well. You know, John's books and some other books that mm-hmm. people might find helpful in. He just came out with a new book, actually, called Mindfulness for Pain. I think I just received oh, a copy okay. from the publisher, which is interesting because, of course, that was the first thing that he was working with for you know, people yeah. with serious chronic pain. So. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Thank you for indulging me. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, no, I mean, I think yeah. it's uh, something that everyone should know about. Yeah, because it can be so useful. Something my wife went through and enjoyed very much. Yeah, uh, speaking of enjoyment, I, you know, we, we also forgot to mention that we enjoy coffee. Um, true, I'm true. Just sort of finishing my cup here. And, and, uh, if folks would like to support the show, they can buy us a coffee at, at diggingthedharma.com. Diggingthedharma.com, yep. indeed. So we're glad you're digging the Dharma. And until next time. Uh, yeah, next, next week. Okay. Take care. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on your podcast directory. And please check us out at diggingthedharma.com where you can leave a comment, buy us a coffee, and even become a member. You can find out more about me, John Aaron, at johnaaron.net, 
and Doug at DougsDharma.com.